0: Welcome to Split: The After Ever After Podcast, co-hosted by family law mediator Jennifer Sanders and certified divorce coach Ashley Wood. This podcast features other divorce professionals, Q&A, tips, and updated info on all things separation, divorce, conflict resolution, and co-parenting. Whether you're newly separated or divorced, listen now for tips and advice on how to build a foundation for a more peaceful future. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Split, the After Ever After podcast. My name is Ashley Wood. I'm a certified divorce coach and I'm joined by Jennifer Sanders, an accredited family law mediator. Something strange happened this weekend that I want to bounce off you with. Yes, I haven't heard from you much this weekend, so (laughs) let's hear it. Yes, yeah, Josh and I, we went away for the weekend and we ran into a mutual friend with my ex and I. We a mutual friend of ours who I haven't seen in a long time and they just recently had a baby and so we were talking about how my ex just had another baby and he was like, "Oh, yeah, he's so cute. I haven't met him yet. What's he like?" and I I was like, Oh, I don't know. I haven't met him yet. And he's, I think, four or five months old now. Anyways, not because there's anything wrong between the two of us. It's just we don't have that relationship. And our friend was just like, Oh, are you going to meet him? Or was he was just Mm. so puzzled by it. And it made me question my co-parenting relationship and where we where we were at and is this something that we should have done and so then I just went into that spiral of things are good between us and it's okay and you know Paige is so happy and yeah so it was just it was weird and it just made me think how easy it is to get caught up in what the outside perception is and what we should be doing as good co-parents and what a good blended family looks like and to just really come back to your core values and what works best for your family because we're all a little bit different so yeah it was just a weird thing
1: yeah okay and I would want to ask okay so first of all I don't think that's a big deal not to meet
0: the baby Okay, that's where I'm at now. Yeah,
1: yeah. Let's start there. I, yeah, I don't. But Mm -hmm. also, what's the dynamic like? When would you meet the baby? Is the mom right there during transition? Yeah,
0: and that's yeah. They live almost three hours away. I've only met Paige's stepmom once. That meeting was fine, but we've only actually seen each other once. I texted her when their son was born and said congratulations, and that was nice, and that was it. And. It's fine. Like it's not I'm don't fix what ain't broke.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) But yeah, and I think that's where people can sometimes go wrong when they're first trying to co-parent and build something positive. Think that you do need to be fully engaged and best friends and all up in each other's business. And usually it's the opposite that needs to happen so that everyone can get along.
1: Yeah. Having boundaries. Yeah, because she would have to be making like a special trip with the baby just for yeah. you. To bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like it would be weird if let's say you were doing, I shouldn't say it would be weird. It could possibly yeah. <laughs> be an, a weird situation. If it was like a two, two, three schedule, there was all these constant transitions. And then the mom was like, right. Ashley can't see this baby
0: and she was like, like hiding in a yeah, bunker. yeah exactly like I don't you know why they have a bunker in the like keep-
1: <laughs> yeah exactly keeping it from you but it's just organically the way that it works for you guys But yeah, Yeah. good point. And you've been really conscious with that, I think, in your um, social media and the information that you put out is that people can sometimes look at that co-parenting relationship when you see those pictures of them like all attending and matching jerseys at (laughs) soccer games and stuff and think, (laughs) I'm failing or I'm like, that's the gold standard and now I'm below gold standard. But yeah, that's just what works for them. You might be doing awesome.
0: yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that reassurance. Yeah. Now that the conversation has passed, I had a couple of days to think about it. Good. I was more secure as well, but it, yeah, it really, it caught me off guard. So I thought that would, I thought I'd bring it up today. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah. You're yeah. good. You're good. <laughs> And what about on your end? Just, just another day in paradise?
1: Yeah, same thing, right? Like when you're a single parent, we think we talked about this last time, the weekends just blend in to the other, yeah. Yeah, the other time. We did, I felt like we had quite an accomplishment this weekend because we did get out in the garden boxes and yeah, got our cold weather stuff planted. So this is definitely the earliest that we've done that. Yeah, we got the peas in and some carrots and
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. My youngest planted some stuff that's uh, in the house now waiting for it to, yeah, sprout. You get these parents and you're like, okay, I've been a good parent for the day. Now I'm done, right?
0: (laughs) I'm out now. Go to your screen. exactly. (laughs)
1: Everyone so got are, some
0: vitamin D, I'm exactly. done.
1: <laughs> We're outside for many hours, did this physical activity, educational. They're Googling what seeds can be planted with what. So I filled the quota now. So, <laughs> so uh, was,
0: yeah. That's the thing as a parent, you if you don't, it's actually worse if you don't have at least one thing planned, because then they're yeah. just coming to you, even slightly older kids, right? Like I'm bored. What do we do? fighting with each other yeah. so yeah you have to have an activity but it needs to be in that fine balance of nothing <laughs> too extreme that's going to be too much effort
1: exactly <laughs> that was a good was a good balance it got some stuff done we were out in the sun it does feel so great as Canadians oh, and yeah. those first days when you're out in the sun it's just ah yeah new life so that was very positive
0: oh good good So, today we are talking about how to tell your partner that you want to separate or a divorce. I've broken this down into five common mistakes that I often see people make when they're approaching their partner with this topic. So, we're going to go over the five mistakes, the don'ts, the do's, and then, yeah, also incorporate if you are considering mediation, how to approach that conversation with your partner, particularly if they are be in denial or just super emotional and not where you are in the grieving process. So yeah. mistake number one, and I think this is probably the most obvious, but stated anyways, is choosing the wrong time. What we don't want to do is announce your decision to leave in the middle of an argument. And we also don't want to use divorce as an idle threat. I feel like that's important to say as well. So we don't want to blindside the person we definitely want to be having some conversations along the way where you are being really clear about where you're at in this relationship what your needs are and and just be honest about how you're feeling and yeah
1: I think that's a really good point because I hear a lot from people that they are having trouble adjusting that it's real because they've been, been threatened with it for years. So they've been, yeah, just used to thinking, okay, they'll come around. And so it, it really is a, it takes some time when it's, oh, they've actually called a mediator or they've actually, they're moving out because yeah, it has been threatened for years.
0: Yeah, for sure. And prepare yourself for those big emotions and just have a little bit of compassion for if you are in that situation where you do feel like you have been planting the seeds for quite a while now. The garden is in full bloom. You're like, (laughs) how can you not see (laughs) what is right here? The person is still likely going to be quite shocked. They may even be in denial. They'll probably be going through. All the various stages of grief all at once, the denial, the anger, the bargaining, they'll start crying. And so if you're already farther along in towards acceptance, it is your role to help steer this ship if your intention is to set the tone for as amicable a process as possible. So prepare yourself for those big emotions.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I know that's a hard place for people to be in sometimes for various reasons. Sometimes mm-hmm. the person who finally decides to go, they're doing that because they've been through some hell, right? Like often that first person sort of gets blamed. But yep. then when you hear both sides of the story, it's yeah, there's reason why they're finally deciding this. And I think sometimes they can seem unfeeling that mm-hmm. they're just, we're going now, we're ripping off the band-aid. I'm leaving. I don't want to talk about it. No more. And they can seem very yeah. unfeeling, but that's their own emotional protection. And, but that's, I say exactly what you are saying. They're going to need to understand that it's going to come across as very unfeeling, which makes it even harder, right? If they're not for the other party, if they're not showing any empathy, all of a sudden they're saying, I'm done and I will not talk about it. I don't want, You know, nothing to say about it, not to say that they need to have big, long, drawn out conversations, but some empathy, some understanding for the other person's grief and their time that they need.
0: A hundred percent. And I'm actually in the next couple lines here, we're going to get to just recalling the ear statement, because I think that can be a really good way to assert the boundary that you're not willing to engage in discussions of what's gone wrong or who's at fault, but in a kind and compassionate way. So you're gently keeping the train on the track. This brings us to number two, don't engage in the blame game. So don't use this as an opportunity to list off all of their faults or their wrongdoings, everything that they've done wrong in the last 10 years or however long that you've been together. Um, Save that for your therapist, coach or friend. Instead, we want to be really direct, clear and empathetic. So we want to be compassionate, but we also want to explain that this decision is final and that it's irrevocable at this point. I do think that it can be really helpful to just acknowledge that regardless of who's more at fault in your own mind, that you have both contributed to the breakdown of the marriage. And for that reason, it's really pointless to figure out who is more to blame or just rehash all of the things uh, that have happened in the past. So, That's number two. Number three is becoming defensive. Um, We already touched on this just a little bit. It's going to be an instinctual reaction for you to defend yourself if they are the ones actually engaging in the blame game. And I would expect the other person to do that because if you're listening to this right now and preparing for this conversation, you are already More prepared to engage in this conversation than the other person. You've had time to think about this. Maybe you've talked to your friend about it, journaled, whatever. You've been thinking about this. You're going to be way more prepared than the other person. So instead, we want to, number one, listen without interruption. So do your best to just be quiet. And I know you say this all the time, Jen. Just try to let them get it all out. I also think it's important to have a mantra to help you set intention for when you go into the conversation, which I know might sound a little woo woo, but it really does help. So something that I've worked on with clients in the past is really simple. This is not about me. This is about what's happening for them.
1: Mm, So just remembering
0: that. that. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that's a good one
0: yeah, this is not about me. And therefore, I don't need to defend myself. So having a mantra, and then the ear statement. So we were so fortunate to be able to talk to the king of conflict resolution himself, Bill Eddy, I will put the links to that episode uh, in the show notes for this one. But just to quickly go over what that is, it's responding to someone who is pretty emotionally charged or triggered with empathy attention and respect. So, a couple of examples here, some things that I've have heard that have come up, some things that I experienced personally might be things like I can't believe you're going to just break this family. What about the kids? Or don't expect me to be paying you alimony and you can live in this big house and I'm going to move into a one bedroom apartment. That's not going to happen. And I think An important point to make quickly here is that this is where it's really important to have some information and knowledge about the process and everyone's legal rights. Because it's very easy to be triggered by fear and then engage in that unproductive conversation um, about things that neither of you have the full skills or knowledge to really sort out in that moment. But if you have at least looked at the government website that kind of explains, you know, what alimony is, what, how child support is calculated, you have some basic knowledge. It's going to be a lot easier for you to just remember, okay, this isn't about me. This is what's happening for them. They have no idea of what the legal rights are. They're just scared that they're going to you know, lose everything that we've worked for. And it's much easier to then harness in that empathy for the other person.
1: Yeah, that's, that is super important because people come all the time and they do initial consultation call and either it's them saying it or more often, yeah, their partner is saying to them. And so they are the fearful one. They're going to take the house. They're going to, I'm going to lose my kids. They've told me they're going to take me for all I'm worth. And yes, yes, I'm explaining that can't happen. (laughs) Like there, there are laws around a lot of these things. Yes. There's gray areas. Yes. Someone can be difficult, but even with a team of lawyers, you're not going to lose your rights to equitable property division or child support or time with your kids. Yeah. That that's a super important. I'll just
0: give maybe one example response to one of those common responses while using the the ear statement. So you could say something like, let's use the one, I can't believe you're going to do this to the family. What about the kids? Empathy. I understand your concerns. Truthfully, I'm concerned about the kids too. They are number one priority. Attention. I know this is going to be a difficult and painful process for all of us. So just acknowledge that. And that's where y- you can have boundaries, but in in that you're not willing to talk about right in this moment, every single thing that needs to happen in the process, but just acknowledging this is going to be difficult. I know this is going to be hard for all of us. And while things have broken between the two of us, I still respect you as a parent. And I do believe that we can go about this with decency and reasonableness. Like I'm committed to supporting your relationship with the kid, no matter what, that's really important to me. I'm committed to that. And I, I hope that in time, you'll feel the same way.
1: Yeah, this, I think that this is worth its weight in gold for someone entering into a separation, because if you keep repeating that type of communication, you're going to keep that temperature down and keep that conflict low. And that's going Mm -hmm. to help you avoid court, avoid the nastiness. And no matter how, obviously we can't guarantee this a hundred percent of the time, but even (laughs) someone who is very hurt. Very upset, very fired up. If you remain calm and are continually treating them with respect and using these statements, like you've said, and it might mean you're literally like you said, it is like a mantra, even what you're saying, you just are repeating the same stuff. They will start to settle down like someone in the face of someone who's calm and respectful is typically not going to then be lashing out at you and getting a lawyer and taking you for all your, trying, (laughs) they'll start to see, okay, there is an easier way here. This doesn't have to be a fight. If you bring up the temperature, it just goes up and up. It's one upmanship and next you're being called to court.
0: Yeah. So when I'm working one-on-one with folks, I encourage them to write out, we'll work on this together, every objection or statement of blame that, or criticism that they think that their partner is going to come up with. We write them all out wow. and then we come up with our responses. And typically there's not a lot because it's usually three to five common things that, you know, yep. they think the other person's going to say, and we just practice it. And we've said this before, it's like exposure therapy. And I think that can help you settle into the conversation a little bit more as well. Just having that little bit of role play. So anyways, if you're not working with me, I would encourage you to write out that list yourself and then use the ear statement for every single response. So moving on to number four, don't try to solve every aspect of this divorce in this conversation. Yeah. Coming back to our intention and our mantra is to just get through this conversation as compassionately and respectfully as possible, and to just set the stage for the next part, figuring out, are you going to go to mediation? What information do we need to gather? We are just relaying this information in the most respectful way possible. Your spouse will likely be spiraling because again, they haven't had the chance to prepare. So they will likely say something like, have you gotten a lawyer or what are we going to do? What are we going to do with the house? Well, how are we going to divide time with the kids? And again, just come back to your your statement. I understand how overwhelming this is. I feel the same way. I know that we're going to have a lot of things to discuss and negotiate even some things that we may not agree on, but I am committed to going about this in a, as reasonable and equitable way as possible. I think we should take some time for both of us to just digest this. We can both do some investigation to see what our options are. And then let's talk later this week or tomorrow, give them a time. They know, okay, we're going to be coming back to this.
1: Yeah, good point that you want to hear them out. You're expecting to negotiate, collaborate through the process somewhat. And that's an excellent point as well, because I, (laughs) there's another thing I see is that people, They've got this stress and pain, and so they just want some solutions. The unknown of what the heck is going to happen, like you said, with the house, the kids is so painful that they start to try to make these side deals. So, and I know I can see these clients right away. So, sometimes they'll come and they'll send me this massive email of all the things how they want it to be and what they've worked out, or they've downloaded a separation agreement online, and here's what they figured out they're going to do. And the problem with that is, yeah, they don't always have all of the information. And often when we collect the financials and we start to get more information, the picture looks a little different and they might want to change their mind about things. It can start to get really messy too, because one person will offer one thing and they, they don't have an ulterior motive. It's legit what they think is reasonable and fair, but they don't have all the information. So it's not actually yeah. quite reasonable. So then the other party looks at it. Maybe they talk to friends and family. They come back. They say, he's trying to screw me. Like it just, yeah. it's really messy. <laughs> um, they talk to
0: Aunt Janet. She's they, like, what are you doing in mediation? Yes. Go hire an attorney. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it gets really messy, but I empathize that that is a way that a lot of people are are just trying to make sense of their lives. Okay, we'll do this. We'll do this. We'll do this. So I think very similar if someone is doing that and that's their way, you could say, thanks for writing this out. I will read the, let's me depending on where you are in the process after our session or after we get some legal advice, let's look at this and evaluate it. So you're validating what they've done, but I- yeah never think it's a good idea to go too far down those roads without having all the information.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And the last one here, threatening legal action. So again, this might be kind of obvious, but maybe it's not because most of the clients I meet with who are early on, very early in, in the process and are, haven't, have yet to tell their spouse that they want a divorce and they've met with an attorney, they will say, I have met with an attorney and I I don't want to be dishonest. I wouldn't encourage someone to be dishonest, but I would encourage you to just be careful in how you relay this information. If they ask you, have you met with an attorney? I think it, because most people think that if you meet with an attorney, you're, you're paying your retainer and lawyering up. So it's important to just make the distinction of very preliminary stages of gathering information, just to get some idea of what our options are. So again, it's not me against you. It's us against the problem being, we don't know where we go from here. So I've just been gathering some information to see what our options are and just leave it. At that. And again, you're suggesting that you both take time to familiarize yourselves with your options and expressing your willingness to engage in as collaborative a process as possible. Yep.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and that's a perfect distinction is that there's a huge difference between when you're just getting legal advice, so independent legal advice, you're paying a lawyer for an hour or two of time, you're consulting them, you're telling them about your situation, and they're giving you advice when you're retaining a lawyer, then they can communicate on your behalf. So if you, and most people I find don't understand that distinction. So they'll go to a lawyer for some legal advice and then they'll maybe email the lawyer and say, oh, can you, you know, contact my ex or let my mediator know this or that. So when you go for legal advice, your lawyer is not representing you. They're Mm -hmm. not even your lawyer. It's not even really accurate to say your lawyer. That lawyer is not representing you. They're not your lawyer. And yeah, formal retainer, that's when someone may be representing you. So it can, again, take down that temperature. Like you said to say, we should both probably get some legal advice and really being clear. I have not retained this person. I don't plan to retain a lawyer. I do just want to get some advice. And here's how I got the name. You can just be very transparent because your ex too, like if they are a person where you think, yeah, they're going to be very threatened by that, this piece could be really important to bring down that temperature.
0: I agree. I agree. Hey, listener. As you likely already know, the divorce journey can bring with it an emotional roller coaster of challenges. Whether you are navigating co-parenting, dealing with a high conflict ex, dating after divorce or more in this new chapter, it's normal to feel overwhelmed and at times really lonely. That's why I'm excited to tell you about our new sponsor, Circles. Circles is an emotional support platform that connects you with a small group of others who are also going through divorce in a safe online space. Guided by mental health professionals, Circles meet weekly in group video meetings and provide support in a 24-7 group chat. And at $79 a month, that is less than the cost of a single therapy session. You don't have to go through this alone. Support is available so head over to circlesup.com and use promo code split 2022 to get the first month free and join your circle today so i'm wondering now what would you say to a client who has come for a consultation and is there initiating things and wanting to get the ball rolling and get their partner into mediation How do you respond to someone and cool their jets, but also give them (laughs) some tips for how to talk to their partner and and get them to mediation? Because we've talked about this many times. We don't want to be rushing through the process, but we also don't want to let things linger because without any kind of plan, that's where, you know, conflict can also really explode. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. So lots of kind of ways of looking at this. One, absolutely. I say to people, it's important to at least just get into the process so that that is neutralizing in itself that okay we mm-hmm. we're establishing we're going to use mediation maybe we're not going to have our first joint session for several weeks even or a month but we've got the mediator mediation always starts with individual meetings so a lot of times that's a, a real key piece for the person that's reluctant that they know they have that individual confidential meeting with me so they can lay out their side of things, where they are with things. From a logistical standpoint, I say to people, yeah, often some will say, how do I get them to come? As a mediator, I think most practice this way, If it's appropriate and makes sense in this situation, I would send someone like one email just introducing myself and my services, and then it would be up to them. So I would never chase anyone. But similar to what we were saying about the lawyer, we talk a little bit about what is the dynamic? Have you talked to them about this at all yet? Do they know you're talking to a mediator? So yeah, letting them know, I'd like to use mediation. Here's why. Here's a person I'd like to use. And you could give them a few names so they don't you know, feel like you're pressuring them or you're biased some in any way. Right. And again, yeah, I think it might, people get frustrated as this. Like I told them about it on Friday and they haven't called. And this is a
0: and big- And it's Monday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: <laughs> And it's Monday. It's going to take people time. And so I talked to them about that too. I think sometimes again, maybe in a rush to just end the emotional pain, people can be very unreasonable with the timelines. They tell someone and a week later they're frustrated because they haven't also called the mediator. Yeah. So I do talk to people about that, about managing expectations, but being able to have that conversation with the other person, let them know, I don't want to fight. Like you said, I, I want to do what's best for the kids. I want to be able to collaborate. And I think asking them sometimes too would probably go better than telling them you need to call this mediator this is what we're doing we're phrasing it as a question so do you think a mediation might be a good option why don't you take a look at this person let me know what you think if you find someone else i would be open to that too and then when we're in the process timing is a big thing. And yeah, I've talked about it a lot because I think in a lot of ways, timing is one of those big tools in the toolbox of conflict resolution. And my job is trying to manage, yeah, the person who wants to push it along and get them to be a little bit more reasonable sometimes. And also, yeah, support and sometimes push a little bit the person who is reluctant. What I say often to the person who wants to push it along maybe unreasonably fast is that in my experience now with clients, when you do that unreasonably, you're actually wasting time in the long run Mm. because if that person comes in, like sometimes I do see people and it is like, it is a fresh separation. They are still trying to get their head around. I'm not going to see my kid half the time. I got to move. Like it's so raw and There's only so much there's that we can decide when someone is emotionally distraught. They need more time to process things and get their head around things. So there's only so far I can push someone if they are really in emotional turmoil. And then what can end up happening is that if people do attend when it's really fresh, they attend, they're like, okay, fine. I'll rip off the bandaid too. Let's go next week. We'll get it done. I've seen them sometimes too, when we start to get to the ending of mediation, now they're coming around a little bit and then they're like, hang on now. I don't like this. And now I've gotten advice and now, so it can end up taking a bit longer than two. So I think it's really important to get in the process so that you're neutralizing. Okay. This is not going to be a court battle. We are going to use mediation, but then it is a bit of a push and pull to be reasonable about that timeline.
0: I would say as well that the person who is pushing to get things going is actually not is equally not present <laughs> as the other person because their focus is on just getting this over and done with they're not really in their best self mindset yeah. either because they're focused on the wrong thing they're not really able to be present and focused on the task at hand but yeah i love those tips and it's really interesting how you can work with each party to help get them on the same page. It's pretty incredible, actually.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The timing is a big piece. And sometimes that person that wants it to be done quickly, you're right. They're not their best selves either. Like you said, and they often appear callous and unkind uh, because they just Mm -hmm. don't want to hear it. So the other person is trying to figure it out and they're not being receptive at all and so usually then the coaching to them is okay this is not going to be in your best interest if you want a good agreement here you got to be a little nicer like (laughs) it's really what it comes (laughs) down to sometimes and I think I've seen at first when I was newly meeting I would think oh my gosh this person is a huge jerk but I don't think it is in most cases I think they really are that is their way of dealing with a really hard thing too So Mm -hmm. right. Their way is shutting down. Nope. I don't want to hear it. Don't talk to me about they're not seeing the other person's side of it. So that other person sometimes just needs time to be able to vent and get out some of their frustrations and that sort of thing. So yeah, sometimes it looks like, Hey, if you let the other party be upset with you a bit and vent their feelings and give them the time you need it's give a little to get a lot, then I think this is going to go better in the long run.
0: Yeah, for sure. So those are our five biggest mistakes, and we hope this will be helpful. And as always, if you're looking for more support, we would encourage you to follow us on all of our social media, and there are links to websites and consultations for each of us in the show notes.